travelers, we are live from the apocalypse. Hello and welcome, friends, to another episode of our Masks Campaign, Academy H. My name is Brendan, and I play Alex Sandowski, a.k.a. Victory. Just like everything that we do here at Live from the Apocalypse, Academy H benefits a nonprofit or aid organization. And this week, I am proud to announce that since our last episode, we hit our fundraising goal of $2,000 for Planned Parenthood, and that is all thanks to you guys. That means we'll be voting as a group very soon to pick a new beneficiary for future streams and episodes. So feel free to drop us a suggestion on social media at Live from the Apoc on Twitter or at Live from the Apocalypse on Instagram. We also record this show live on Twitch every other Sunday at 6 p.m. EST, which is where the majority of our fundraising happens, and we would love to have you all join us as part of the audience. You can find our schedule, socials, and Discord link at lfta.carrd.co or on our Twitch at twitch.tv slash live from the apocalypse. We uh, had a lot of fun recording this episode. There were a lot of great moments, and uh, I think we all felt like we got much deeper into the characters and into the world. Uh, I think this is also our first arc, a longer story split across a couple of episodes that will let us better adapt the Masks playstyle into podcast format. But uh, that's enough talking from me, so uh, with all that being said, let's get into Academy H, Sparkles and Trauma, Part 1. I keep, like, thinking of one more thing that I should say, and then promptly forgetting what it was going to be. Um, but I guess, Mood. yeah, right? But I guess we're good to just move right on ahead and get into this. Starting with our introductions, episode one is out now. People have met those characters. People have spent uh, over two hours with those characters. Future episodes will be shorter. It's called Giant Size Issue Number One for a reason. So without further ado, let's get into introductions in alphabetical order once again starting with brendan hello uh i am brendan um what do you want me to say <laughs> i'm just like <laughs> who are you who do you I, play what's your playbook I, <laughs> we did this last time oh <laughs> uh, god we did uh well hello uh i'm brendan uh i'm a periodic player here on live for the apocalypse i also gm another game here on the channel that plays uh, every other tuesday uh that is pokemon themed uh very wholesome except when it's cosmic horror in this game i am playing victory who is uh using the legacy playbook the inheritor of a superheroic legacy although in this universe that legacy is not currently widely known uh, and we shall see what happens as it becomes more so. That is true. Uh, do you do any sort of professional DMing or something like that? <laughs> yes, 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 I am. I am a professional game master. Uh, as you can tell, I'm excellent at promoting it. If you would like to know more, you can please feel free to email me at creative.catacombs at gmail.com. Thank you so much, Brendan. Next up, Jamie. J.A. comes before J.D. I remembered this time. <laughs> Hello. I'm Jamie. I'm a comedian based out of the Pacific Northwest. I'm very funny. You can find um, all sorts of stuff on social medias at A. Jamie Carbone, all one word. 
And I play Danny Carseat, a.k.a. The Stage, a character that uses the Harbinger uh, playbook, um, who uh, is just as much a mystery to me as it is to the other players. Danny is doing their own thing. I just happen to choose the words for Danny. So uh, good for him. Good for all of us. Long may he reign. <laughs> Long may he reign. Very good. Thank you. Uh, JD? Uh, so I am JD. Uh, I am also in another game that Will runs on the channel, uh, Class Reunion, which does the alternating Tuesdays as Brendan's game, Missing Numbers. In this game, I am playing Casimir Bright, a.k.a. Spectral, who is using the Scion playbook, uh, meaning that his parent is a supervillain, although his teammates don't know that yet. Uh, so we're going to see how that goes, and it's bound to be a lot of fun. And I think that's about it on my side. Julia, there you go. Hey, hello. I am Julia. I am the local Delaware cryptid, as I prefer to be known. Um, I don't do anything creatively professionally, but I do participate in other games here. I'm also in Class Reunion. And I am playing Lyra Kroll, who is the Janus playbook, which means unlike most heroes in this setting, not just of this team, but in the setting as a whole, she actively works very hard to maintain her secret identity, mostly because of her very large, very nosy, very imposing family who would be not pleased if they found out what she was doing with her free time, which is about to get a lot smaller now that she's about to be enrolled in a very prestigious collegiate program. And she can uh, manipulate glass. So that's fun. So true. And that's Lyra. Uh, hi, <laughs> my name is Will. I'm one of the GMs and the organizers here at Live from the Apocalypse. I run Class Reunion. I play in Missing Numbers, and I also run this game. I'm also in Mercy of Time, which is our current Wildcard Wednesday D&D 5e game for, I think, four or five more sessions. But yeah, I do a bunch of stuff. Will doesn't sleep. <laughs> We've been over this. I sleep sometimes. Yes, I do a lot of stuff here at Live from the Apocalypse, but it's all channel related. So uh, stick around, check out more of our stuff, and that's where you can find pretty much everything I do. So let's get into it. Beginning our game set in the city of Providence, in a world not unlike our own, but with a few key divergences. In this world, superheroes have been a fact of life since the late 1970s, when the world's first superhero, Paragon, a man from a thousand years in the future, was accidentally catapulted back in time. He became a symbol of hope, a champion of the people, widely regarded to be the world's greatest hero. 
he inspired countless other heroes who followed in his footsteps. And unfortunately, only a little bit over a decade after he first arrived in our time period, he died. But his legacy lives on in every facet of this world. And it is in Providence that there is a collection of expensive looking brick buildings surrounded by greenery, well-kept grounds, a lot of very professional and painstaking landscaping, which undoubtedly reveals its nature as an institute of higher education. Immediately off to one side before entering the campus proper, there's a concrete slab that declares in large blocky letters that this is in fact Powers University. And right underneath those letters is emblazoned with the logo of an atom, the symbol of the founder, former super scientist and adventurer, now unfortunately also deceased, Dr. Will Powers. Powers University is a strange place in the world of higher education and academia. It was founded to be entirely free for anyone who attends, but it is also entirely merit-based. You have to be invited to attend Powers University. There is no application process, at least not a formal one. The only stipulation of this generous model is that you have to make the world a better place with the knowledge that you obtain there. And in one of those very expensive and fancy looking brick buildings, there is somebody racing down the hallway. Julia, you described roughly how Lyra had prepared for her meeting with her new academic advisor last session. <laughs> Would you care to revisit that? Sure. So Lyra is in nicer black denim jeans. They're not obviously jeans unless you're like touching them or right upon them, which you should never be. <laughs> um, she's wearing kind of a more casual like summer top. So it's not quite a t-shirt. It's not a button up, but it's maroon and it's got kind of like flowier sleeves. So it's more casual, but it's nice. And she's got her hair back. Usually she would have it braided, but her hair is back in like a tight high ponytail from when she had to do her cheer competitions in high school and stuff like that. And then flats, which she despises because there's no structure to keep them on your feet when you're running fast. So it's a lot of that like power walking stuff that she absolutely despises because if you go too fast, your heel will come out. You'll lose your shoe. Hates it. There's no top to the shoe. Doesn't like it. It's nicer fare than what she would prefer to be wearing, but she's wearing it because she has a very important meeting to get to with her new potential advisor. So she's looking frantically at the doors for the sign that will lead her to Dr. Harriet Stacy. In fact, uh, you do see the sign you were looking for. It does not say Dr. Harriet Stacy, but the letter that she sent with you gave you a lab number. And you see that as you slide to a stop in front of the wooden door that just has a window set into it with a plaque on the wall that has the number 
emblazoned on it. You throw open the door, rush into the room. Here's the big question. Did you remember to take your mask off? Yes, because I got back on public transit. (laughs) That's true. So, yes, the mask is... I probably did not get to stow it as neatly as I preferably would. It's probably wadded up in my back pocket of my pants because I, like, was running for the bus and was scrambling to get it off, like, mid-run. And instead of putting it back into my bag or in, like, the pocket I usually keep, I just shoved it where I could. I don't have my phone. I'm worried about being late. It was a concern, but it wasn't the top of my list. Fair enough. You open the door and enter the room. Unfortunately, the door rebounds off of the wall. You didn't realize quite how hard you opened it and makes a loud bang noise. And in this lab where there are tables set up, there's a lot of expensive looking equipment scattered around the room. There is one woman sitting at one of those tables. Behind her, there is a large framed photograph that takes up a section of the wall in and of itself. You're not exactly sure what you're looking at at first, except it looks almost like a mine shaft. It's clearly underground. You can see the walls are dirt and rock, but there are also almost pylons running up the sides of it. And at various intervals, it looks like there are walkways that circle around the outside of it. You're not sure of the scale of this by any means, but if you had to guess, you would assume that this is truly a massive thing, whatever and wherever it was when this photo was taken. The woman sitting in front of it at one of those tables looks up sharply as the door rebounds open. She is approaching 60, if you had to guess. She is not a particularly tall woman, but she is dressed more like what you would imagine an archaeologist might wear, as opposed to a professor at a university. Her clothes are very practical, very lightweight. She looks like she would be ready to go hiking at a moment's notice. Her hair is cut fairly short at the shoulder, iron gray, pulled up very severely. And she has very weathered features, a lot of lines across her face. And she has a laptop open in front of her. She raises an eyebrow at you and she says, Lyra, I presume? Yes. Hi. Um, I'm sorry about the door. Um, if there's a hole in the wall, I can fix that. I know how to do that. Hi. Um, I'm Lyra. <laughs> And I will come kind of sheepishly further into the room. It's fine. Don't worry about the wall. She stands up and extends one hand out to you over the table. I, I kind of like hesitate and then I go to shake it because I'm just like a little frazzled. I'm Dr. Stacy. It's very nice to meet you face to face. I appreciate you coming here. I hope I wasn't an inconvenience. Um, it was just a little last minute. I had to, you know, rearrange my work schedule, but you know, um, I'm here, so it's it's fine. It's all right. You know. Yeah, I do apologize about that. I was uh not expecting to invite anybody else to join my lab or be a part of the program here at the university. Your materials arrived 
quite a bit late from your teacher who recommended you. So I hear, yeah. But it was a, uh, it was very captivating stuff. I was uh, very surprised and impressed by what I saw. So I made an exception. Thank you. Uh, that's very kind of you. You, you really didn't have to. You know, it's. I understand these kinds of things can be limited and stuff like that. So, you know, it, it's not a inconvenience or anything. If there's not actually a spot for me, I wouldn't want to force an issue. On the contrary, Lyra, I did have to. See, she takes a few steps to her left and points at the picture that's up on the wall behind her. She says, do you know what that is by any chance? She looks at the picture for a couple minutes and then she looks back at her and she's like, I think it's the mine shaft from one of the Union Heroic missions, but I don't think I've ever seen pictures of it. It's a good guess, uh, and I could see why you'd think that, but no, it's it's called The Well. It was uh, my life's work. For a long time, it was my only project, the only thing I was focused on. A geothermal power source capable of powering a whole city. Potentially, the possibilities were endless. We got bought out by Scott Industries. And uh, I thought it was going to be the answer to my prayers. I thought it was going to be the missing piece that was going to let us finish the work and really make a difference. But there was um, an incident unrelated to any of this that started the beginning of the end for the project. A security incident. But even without that, I don't think we would have lasted more than a year because what we lacked, Lyra, was a efficient enough conductor to really tap into that energy, to harness it without losing most of it in the process. And she lays her hand down on the desk on top of a folder and taps it a couple times for emphasis as she's talking. The work you were doing into this thermoconducting glass project. This it could be the missing piece. In fact, I wholeheartedly believe that between all of us here, it will be. You want to help me make halotechnic glass? Or you want me to help you make halotechnic glass? I want you to help me make safe and clean and efficient energy available for anyone who might need it. And in the process, get you a first-class education. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. It's going to be hell of a lot of work. It's going to mean long hours. It's going to mean tireless dedication. And it's going to mean your sole commitment to what it is that we're trying to do here. Is that going to be a problem? Um, I, I guess I might have to rearrange my job schedule, but um, no. I, I mean, she takes kind of like a long, deep breath. She holds it for a second and then she's like, I want to help people. I really do. That's kind of the scary pitch. I'm going to be real honest with you, ma'am. <laughs> but I want to help people. So. You're not going to be on your own. I mean, you'll have a whole team here supporting you. You're one part of the puzzle that we're trying to solve here. One piece. So I understand that it might sound scary, but you won't be doing it alone. You'll have support. I mean, I understand... You might be busy, but you're, what, 18? Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Are you busy enough to give up an opportunity like this? Not if you ask my parents. 
joke. I, I mean, that's a joke. Um, no. Um, no, I'm not that busy, you know. I can... I could do this. I, I, I will. I will do this. Her eyebrows knit and kind of a concerned expression. And she says, Lara, I want to be clear. I, I want you in this program. I think you might be exactly what it is that I've been looking for. But this has to be your top priority. I, I understand. I know the reputation and expected work ethic of Powers University. I just, um, I know I might not sound uh, enthused, um, but again, I just found out yesterday that I was even a consideration. And now, as far as the Kroll family is concerned, this is the path. So it's just a lot, ma'am. It's just a lot. Sounds like your family has your best interests at heart. Mm -hmm. They're very invested. We are all very invested in one another. All right. I am sure at some point you will have a chance to meet my mother. In fact, I'm sure she'll insist upon it. Well, that being the case, I'm happy to move ahead and say welcome to Powers University, Miss Crow. And she reaches her hand out again. Uh, there is significantly less hesitation this time as Lyra reaches across to shake it. She says, thank you. Thank you, Dr. Stacy." She holds your hand uh, this time, doesn't let you pull away, not in a forceful way, but her eyebrows go up and she smiles at you. You can tell that she's joking, but in your case, it rings a little bit differently as she says, don't let me down now. I will do my level best. She just holds that smile she learned from years of competing in gymnastics and cheers. She just holds that smile. She gives you a little bit more information lets you know that it'll be a few more weeks until your program starts properly when regular school is in session the next term for the college begins and she fills you in on all of those details she does ask if you will be living on campus or if you'll be commuting i am assuming you tell her that you will be commuting i most certainly will leaving the nest not an option Going to a rigorous college? Yes. Leaving the home? No. And just a few minutes later, after you get all of that information, you leave that lab, shut the door behind you, much quieter this time. And I have a question for Danny, which is, where is Lyra's phone right now? Um, outside the classroom, waiting for her to finish her meeting. So then you hear your phone go off. and see it perched across from you where you couldn't possibly miss it. I look at it for a very long time. Walk over. The background has been changed to a picture of Danny smiling. I open it. I unlock it. And I'm just like, I'm going to have to smother him. You have a text message. And it says that there has been a situation that has come up. And your evals will have to be postponed. To tomorrow. Is there a name associated with the number or is it just a number? I think there is not currently because this is the first time you have gotten a text message from this number. I changed the name of that number to EA and then like three question marks <laughs> because I've met two people from there and it could be either one of them. So I'm just going to leave it as that for now. And then I'm going to change my phone background back. I don't delete the picture. 
I do just take it off of my phone background because I am not walking into my house with some strange boy's picture as my phone background. That's fair. My brothers will have a field day. It's not happening. I was going to ask, does it have a background that makes it look inexplicably like a school picture? (laughs) Yeah, it's got one of those 80s, like the lasers in the background kind of vibe. I love it. Yeah, I know. I save it as a regular picture. I'll deal with it later. Also, it's not a selfie. Danny had someone take this photo. (laughs) Interesting. That raises a lot of questions. All right. So, uh... I don't want to go home immediately because I don't want to deal with the immediate onslaught of how did it go? What did you say? What did you do? Did they accept you? Is it okay? Blah, blah, blah. I don't want to deal with it. So I'm going to go find like a bookstore and a coffee shop and waste a couple hours before I go anywhere close to home. Okay. That makes sense. Everybody else has some time after commencement where you can get up to whatever you want to. Really, you also all receive. The same message letting you know that, in fact, your evals have been postponed as well. Something has come up and it requires the immediate attention of the school's administration. So whatever you do for the rest of the day, I mean, it is commencement. So there are plenty of activities happening. There are lots of people still on the campus, lots of families, things like that. Do you have any ideas for what the three of you who stayed behind at the academy who are currently staying at the academy might want to do at that time? I think that at this point, Danny, now understanding that he's not being under watched under the scrutiny he was previously, um, they have loosened the leash a little bit, is instead of staying on campus, which is more or less all he knows at this point, has taken the time to explore the city from Powers University to just checking out what is available, teleporting rooftop to rooftop, getting an eye view and trying to get familiar with what a city looks like because this is nothing he has ever been to before that he recalls anyway. The city is breathtaking and probably extremely overwhelming. Just the noise, the sights, the smells. There's a lot of sensory stuff happening and you kind of have this moment to yourself for the first time really since you came here because you came out of the alley through your portal and it was immediately the fight in the middle of the street with the demon who calls himself Crossroads. And then you were pretty much immediately taken to the Brant Academy after that, where there were a lot of questions asked about where you came from, why you were here, why you kept making references to saving the lives of people who were alive and things like that. You have that moment to yourself. I think um, Danny takes it as a moment to Instead of answering the question, because pretty much since he's been here, it's been question, 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 and a lot of unsureness on his part. And that was purposeful. He doesn't want to necessarily tell people things that aren't right, but he is going to find a quiet place on top of the tallest building he can see and try and figure out if he can remember why he's here, because he's honestly not sure. And with a lot of distractions, it is hard for him to focus. Do you want to roll to assess the situation? What modifier is that? That would be with superior. Uh, 12. That is very, very good. I believe that means that you can ask two questions rather. I'm sorry. You can ask, what here can I use to blank? What here is the biggest threat? What here is the greatest danger? Who here is most vulnerable to me? And how could we best end this quickly? 
I definitely want to ask who here is the biggest threat. From vague memories that you can piece together, as jumbled as all of your thoughts are, there are a few facts that you remember. You remember that the villain, widely regarded to be the biggest threat at this point in history, is known by the name Tyrant. You remember that once upon a time, they were a crime boss in province under the name Dante Stefani, who had the nickname The Reaper. Nothing super villainous, no machinations of world domination or extorting the city for money or anything like that, just regular old crime stuff. And then the strange part is Dante Stefani was murdered in his home about 15 years ago. He showed back up, although there is a lot of disagreement about when that happened, with a lot more power. And from that point on, took a much more traditionally supervillainous track of behavior. Kind of does the whole nine yards these days, and is widely regarded as the most dangerous man alive. Cool. Um, recalling that, Danny will uh, ask himself, how could he best end this threat quickly? The answer that I will give you to that is kind of the second half of your first question, which is, while you recall that at this particular moment in history where you have arrived, Tyrant is the biggest threat, you also know on some deep, intrinsic gut level of yourself that the actual biggest threat is yet to come. So realizing that the current threat is not necessarily what he is here for, but is something that needs to be taken care of. Danny will take a deep breath, say, just to himself, sometimes to destroy an anthill, first you have to squish some ants, and then will calmly sit on the ledge of the building and then just fall backwards off of it before a portal opens up beneath him and takes him back to campus where he can plan what exactly he needs to do. And your portal appears in a typical burst of magenta smoke? Yes, um, in a way where people from outside the office building are very confused as to why that is suddenly there. But it disappears just as quickly as it appeared. Once he's in there, it is gone. Like a lens flare effect in a Michael Bay movie. Not just any lens flare. Specifically a Michael Bay lens flare. Yeah. We're not doing this J.J. <laughs> Abrams garbage. We're doing Michael Bay. J.J. who? We don't know him. <laughs> he doesn't go here. Amazing. You teleport back to campus. Victory, are you doing anything with the rest of your evening or just kind of retiring? Victory is going to take some time to kind of wander around the campus, try to familiarize himself just with its layout, kind of get used to the idea of maybe living here, and then is going to sort of try to find a secluded spot to start doing some exercises. He does pull out the manual and sort of consults what the uh, particular physical regimen is that he should be doing at this uh, this moment of this day of this week of this year. It looks like it's just some pretty straightforward calisthenics, and so he just kind of finds a secluded garden spot to just start doing that. You do calisthenics in the park, and nobody bothers you. Everybody leaves you alone. You get some weird looks, probably, but nobody is going to come over and talk to the large man 
in even larger clothing doing calisthenics alone in a park. Yeah, yeah. And eventually, as it starts to get dark, you are rightfully tired and you head home. Is that uh, everything, Casimir? Was there anything? I think uh, Kaz would take the time since the room is empty and thinking about what Lyra had said about Reese potentially being trampled. I think uh, he's going to take that time to, first of all, enjoy having the room to himself and like having that space to have a few moments, but then just start calling the local hospitals to see if anybody matching Reese's description was brought in following uh, the attack by Crossroads. You call around all the hospitals. You ask about Reese, Reese's description. Uh, you maybe get a couple people asking, are you family or anything like that? But eventually, one way or another, you find out that nobody matching Reese's description exactly was brought in in the wake of that throwdown between Crossroads, Nightfall, and the four of you. And Reese has a very distinct appearance, so safe bet. Which I feel like Kaz was kind of expecting, but at least he wanted to be able to cross that possibility off his list. And so you have this opportunity to have your common area in the Brant Academy residency to yourself, which eventually your two other roommates return to. The rooms that you have been given are in Ellis Tower. The way the Brandt Academy campus is laid out, there is a quad with a fountain in the middle of it that has a statue of the founder, Roger Brandt, or perhaps not the founder. You don't actually have that much information about Roger Brandt to go off of at the moment. But there's a statue to him in the middle of the quad on a fountain with a plaque underneath it that reads, Roger Brandt, a true hero. The campus of the Brandt Academy, such as it is, is very small really only takes up about a block. Surrounding the quad is a ring of buildings. The one that is most notable is sort of the centerpiece. It sits directly behind the fountain itself, and it is this old sort of gothic-looking mansion. Not poorly maintained, but very, very old. It looks very strange and very out of place. And then splitting off from that, there are two buildings on one side and then three buildings on another that kind of ring in the quad, creating one opening for people to enter the campus from the streets. On one side, there is Ellis Tower, which you all are currently in. That is the residency center. That's where the dorms are and also access to food and things like that. There is another building smaller than Ellis Tower, which is by far the largest. And from the windows of your common area and your rooms that you have been given, you have an incredible view of province. The Seraph Center is, you were told, the Science Center, the building that has been dedicated by the Seraph Corporation for advances in technology, studying scientific pursuits, STEM, essentially, and things like that. Obviously, these topics have a definite bend towards the superheroic. A lot of the curriculum at the Brandt Academy, although not all of it, is very practical. Troy Hall is the location of the administrative offices and the classrooms. Troy Hall is where 
Claire Perkins' office was, where you were uh, spoken to, Danny, where you were questioned originally, and where the rest of you were brought when you first got to the campus. It was where you also met Leo. And then there is also a much more squat concrete building that almost has a dome shape to it. That would have been pointed out to you as the bunker. And probably no more explanation was given unless you asked for it specifically. There is also a very long building that has a more traditional architectural build to it, something more reminiscent of education and academia. And that is very clearly demarcated as the West Library. All of this is visible to you from your room within Ellis Tower. Your accommodations are basically four bedrooms that feed into a common area. So you have kind of a, an ensuite situation going on for the three of you and Lyra, if she wants it. The next day dawns after you've returned home, gotten a little sleep, maybe spent a little bit of time together, but you're all probably fairly wiped out from your individual pursuits in the wake of commencement. The next day, you all receive another message sent to your phones from that same number, letting you know that your evaluations will be taking place that afternoon at 1 p.m. And it tells you where to report, which is Troy Hall. Lyra, I assume you went home to your family after your appointment and getting the message that your evaluation, which you didn't exactly know was going to be happening that day, has been postponed. Her confusion with the with the assessment was she was told it would happen. She wasn't told it would happen immediately. That was the stressor. But now it's kind of like still a compounding stress because now it's like, all right, now I have to find a reason to not be home at one o'clock. So you have to make the journey back from the suburban neighborhood of Willow Hills downtown to where the Brandt Academy campus is located. Yes. And this she does in pretty much the same way she did before but halfway there she stops off to change and for this evaluation she's not sure what else to do besides show up in full uniform so at some point she does get off the bus to change and then makes the rest of the way on foot into your superhero costume yes into her full kit as it were you get a lot of stares uh, a lot of people avoiding you as you move do you have those (laughs) long claws all the time no, no, they are not there all the time. The claws are retractable. They're just glass that goes down and like rings. So the, the rings of glass are always there, but she can grow them and retract them. She usually only uses one hand at a time, but yes, they are retracted for safety reasons. Very cool. Yeah, you make your way back to the campus. For the rest of you, it's a much more leisurely morning. You can get some food. There is a dining hall provided by the Brandt Academy. And then there is, of course, the Hero Hut, a sandwich shop that is available to the students as well. So after a good meal, you report to the room that you were given to await your panel evaluation. Alex shows up to the room in costume, also carrying a styrofoam to-go container from the dining hall that is very obviously filled to bursting with scrambled eggs. It is nearly spherical with eggs. It's too many eggs. It could be worse. No cheese, no salt, just eggs. No cumin. 
for Ron Swanson amount of scrambled eggs. A Swanson of eggs, if you will. I mean, now that he's grown, he eats five dozen <laughs> eggs. It's good. It's good. Yeah, we hit our Parks and Rec mark. We hit our Disney mark. We're killing it. <laughs> Quality content. Quality content. <laughs> the room that you report to. I'm assuming Casimir and Danny, you are dressed how you are always dressed, given that you don't have traditional superhero costumes. I also have no other clothes. There's that. Yeah, Casimir does not have that excuse. (laughs) Did you bring the car seat? No. Now that I have a safe place, that is where the car seat will remain, unless I'm doing a leisure activity where I feel like I need some extra moral support. Yeah, you were able to set yourself up a shelf for the car seat in the room that was provided for you. The room that you report to is fairly empty. There are a few chairs set up along the wall. There is a desk where it seems like maybe a receptionist or somebody should sit, but is currently empty. And there's a low slung table sitting there with a few outdated magazines. And as you file in and take a seat, the other door in the room opens and Leo sticks his head out and points to Alex and says, you want to go first? Uh, yeah, uh, sure. No problem. Is it okay if I eat this um, while we're talking? I need to eat all of this in the next half hour or it's possible that my skin might fall off. He laughs and says, yeah, sure. That's fine. We come on. We got a lot to talk about. Alex will follow him, trying to see if there's any way that he can actually open this container without causing just an explosion of scrambled eggs. I'm imagining you are able to figure it out, although I think it is probably close a couple of times there. You walk into this room, and there's one chair set up in the middle of it, and then there are four other chairs directly across from that one chair. Spread out a little more evenly, not in a straight line more casually than that. Clearly, the occupants of these chairs set them wherever they were comfortable. Leo, after he shows you in and shuts the door behind you, takes one of those chairs. Next to him, there is a woman who you've never seen before. She is about 5'6 or 5'7. She is very pretty. She has very long red hair that is tied up in the back. She is wearing a lab coat with a name tag that says Dr. Samantha Sobrero. Next to her is Claire Perkins, whom you met last time. She introduced herself as the counselor for the Brand Academy. She smiles at you as you enter, uh, reassuringly. And the person on the very end, you also recognize, although you have not spoken with her before, but she did give the address at commencement yesterday. And Leo did introduce her at that event as. Christine Adams, his mentor and the headmaster for the Brandt Academy. She is in her 60s. She has very weathered features as well, although she has the kind of face that doesn't change expression unless she wants it to. Very stoic. She gives you nothing to go off of as you come in and sit down in the chair. And she has one leg crossed over the other, hands sort of perched on the knee. And Leo takes his seat and gestures and says, Alex, you've met myself and you've met Clara, of course. This is my wife, uh, Dr. Sobrero. And she smiles at you warmly and says, 
Samantha's fine for this purpose. And Leo points down at the end and says, and this is Headmaster Adams. And she just nods at you. And Leo says, you can take a seat and we'll get started. A lot of the questions that you are asked are pretty much exactly what you would expect. How old you are, if you finished your education, how you came to hear about the Brandt Academy. There are a couple of questions that strike you as a little bit odd, but definitely make sense in the context. A lot of them are basically hypotheticals. They're not the trolley problem. They're definitely <laughs> lesser versions of that, but they definitely seem to be probing the depths of your beliefs and experience and instincts. It's a little nerve wracking, of course, because it feels kind of like a psychological evaluation coupled with like a school interview, but eventually it seems like things are winding down and the headmaster leans forward and says, I am curious, Mr. Sandowski, we haven't really touched on it yet, but how did you come to have your abilities? As a matter of fact, what exactly are your abilities? Sorry. Um, Take your time. Yeah, thank you. Sorry, it's going to find a place to set this down. Well, I've got uh, the, the the victory suite, although I guess that you don't really know, know what that means, do you? Uh, so I am uh, big and I do big guy things. I am strong. If you hit me really hard, I don't die. I also have x-ray vision. I can see through things. I can also see in the dark pretty well. I, I've been told that's infravision that is coming in. I see weird colors sometimes. I can't really describe them. I don't think we really have words for them. I've been told that eventually I will learn telekinesis and maybe be able to fly, but I don't know how to do that yet. I guess as for how I came to have them, I just kind of followed the manual. You know, I found an old copy and did what it said. I've got a, a coach, I guess you could say, though I don't know if we're still talking or not. And he, you know, helped me out uh, understanding some of the weirder bits like, you know, the eggs. But yeah, no, I just did that. You know, I I did the victory diet and the victory exercise program and the, the victory meditation and have done that for about a year. And I got big. I got strong. I got supervision, the like super hyphen vision. I don't need supervision, really. I'm not a baby. I'm not a super baby. Though, I mean, I do want to be in school. Like, I'm not saying that I don't need instruction. My previous statements about maybe not speaking to my coach anymore, notwithstanding. That's that's plenty. Um, you can you can stop and you can you can stop talking. I'm okay. I'm gonna oh, thank thank you. Um, I'm just gonna frantically shoving eggs into his mouth at the risk of asking a, a follow-up question to all of that you're saying that you acquired your powers by following the lifestyle diet of a comic book character from the she looks down at the other three members of the panel and says 80s that uh yes that is accurate ma'am your honor I see. And this coach? Uh, this, that's would be, um, I, 
uh, I, you know, I guess he never told me anything about not telling me who he is. So I guess uh, that would be Dr. M, Dr. McManus, I should say, Dr. Charles McManus Jr. She nods and then looks down at the other panelists again and she says, I don't, I don't know who that is. Do, do any of you? And they all kind of shake their heads as well. Well, he's. Uh, uh, it's going to be sort of really can be a really awkward conversation. Um, even more awkward than it always was in in my nightmares. Um, the usually I was not in costume for that. Usually I was somehow wearing even less. So hear me out. I discovered that the Doctor Victory comics from the nineteen eighties were based on true events. Dr. Victory was a real person. He was, uh, in fact, Dr. Charles McManus Jr. I eventually tracked down a copy of the Dr. Victory manual, one of the last ones in existence, I think, and I eventually tracked down Dr. Victory himself. He uh, corroborated what I had come to believe, what my research had shown me, and helped me understand how to use the manual to become the new victory I'm not a doctor obviously also he wanted to go with victory lad i didn't love that so we compromised on just just victory son there is no doctor victory there never was a doctor victory headmaster adams says i was there when we founded the union heroic i later led the union heroic and I can promise you that at no point was there a hero named Dr. Victory in the Union or associated with the Union. It's just a comic book. I, um, I do understand that that is... Um, oh, 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 I definitely ate too many eggs for this conversation. Um, I feel like I... Oh, no, that's going to come out wrong. Oh, I'm bombing this so bad. Um, uh, I understand that that is probably how you remember it. She raises an eyebrow at that. <laughs> but as I said, <clears throat> Your Honor, I came to believe that Dr. Victory was real. And I have evidence that Dr. Victory was real. And that he was erased from history. And you probably won't be convinced by a lot of the evidence that I've assembled. Most people aren't, but I think that the best evidence that exists is, um, well, I'm sitting right here. It works. The manual works. The eggs work. I can see that. She looks down the line and makes eye contact with Leo and almost imperceptibly shakes her head a little bit. And I think whether or not she means to, she is going to use influence on you. Influence is a core mechanic of masks. By default, every adult has it over you just because whether you like it or not, no matter how much you might profess that it doesn't affect you as a teenager, their opinion does one way or another have an influence on you. New Disney. For sure. In this particular instance, I think just by her blatant skepticism and the way she is speaking to you, she is going to attempt to increase your freak and decrease your savior. Okay. 
Okay. So you you can attempt to reject that influence, which requires you to roll. And it's basically, it happens, but worse if you fail. Alex is very convinced of his theories. Obviously, he got to where he's sitting right now. He is also insecure right now, which does give him a penalty to that rejecting influence roll. So I think we're gonna roll for it and uh, we'll see how them dice fall. So in your particular case, that is just a straight 2d6, but there's a minus two because you are insecure. Unless I get my math wrong, that is a failure. That is in fact a failure. Get to mark experience. You do get to mark a potential. You're failing forward. Their words hit you hard. You have to mark a condition and I get to adjust your labels. All right. Well, cool. I will. Ooh. Hmm. I'm going to mark angry. So noted. It hits home, unfortunately. And I'm going to say that the labels she was attempting to shift in this particular instance make sense. You feel less heroic, less like you can save people, and a lot more like a freak. As a freak up one and savior minus one? Yes. And Leo says, thank you so much, Alex. He says, could you send, and then stops for a second. Glass, glass, in. You know, yeah, sure. I, yeah, I, I, I got it. I'm gonna, thank you for your time. On his way out, Victor actually will just turn to everyone and just say, you know, hey, it's fine. You don't believe me. I get that. I'm used to it. You don't know anything about Dr. Victory. That's fine. But her name is Bethel. You could at least get it right. And he will storm out. Obviously, you are storming out, so you don't see or hear any reactions coming from them. You get out to the waiting room where the rest of the group is waiting. How'd it go? They, um, they want to see you next. That good, huh? Oh, okay. All right. I will give him, like, a shoulder pat on the way past, because I don't have the time to get into it. But I do, I do give him a pat on my way in, and I close the door behind me. That doesn't quite qualify for a comfort or support role. You can get more in depth later if you want to, but I would like to revisit it later. But at this point, I the anxiety racket is just like a little too high to get into it. <laughs> you enter the room and you see the same four people assembled in front of you. They are kind of shifting in their seats a little bit uncomfortably. You maybe heard conversation drop off unexpectedly as you opened the door and entered. I kind of stand in the doorway for like a long second looking at them, and then I pull the door closed with a little bit more of a forceful, definitive snap than was probably necessary. And then I'm like, so that sounded like it went well. He says, I hope you can appreciate that you wouldn't want us divulging any of your private information to anyone else, and we're just going to extend everybody else the same courtesy and not discuss how the evaluations proceeded. I'm not asking. I'm just stating what is extremely obvious, and I will take my seat. <laughs> you sit down, and it's a lot of the same initial stuff. Yours obviously starts a little bit differently. Leo says, I realized that I never actually found out what you wanted to be called. I know you've been at this for a while. You've been saving people. I haven't really seen any indication that you've given 
a name? I had a name. It proved to be not the best choice. I changed I, Bethel. I go by Bethel. He kind of raises an eyebrow and says, you changed it to Bethel. Because your initial name was confusing? Vaguely unpronounceable for some people. And also, I realized after some time, potentially too on the nose regarding my private life. So I changed it. Bethel now. The panel looks at each other again. They trade looks once again. And Leo looks back at you and says, I'm not sure I know what that is. And from his left, his wife, Dr. Sobrero, speaks up. Samantha, she would have introduced herself to you as the same way she did for Alex. And she says, it's a glass blowing tool, isn't it? A Bethel? No. No, I'm sorry. A Bethel is a chapel for nonconformists. The first name had to do with glass. She uh, nods and says, it was a guess anyway, <laughs> and laughs a little bit. There, ma'am. It's fine. Bethel, then we'll we'll stick to that. Thank you. So you get a lot of the same questions about what it is that you want to do, what it is that brings you here, why you started off working solo and doing things by yourself. How open are you being? Relatively open to any questions that have to do with my powers and things like that. So when they get to the question of when I started, I do indicate that the first incident was when I was 16. I started doing this later that year. As far as why am I solo and everything to that, she kind of repeats what she told Leo the night before, where it's like, I was aware of what the Brandt Academy was. It was not an option for me at the time when I was 16. So I was alone. Clara speaks up and says, I hope you don't mind me prying, but is there a reason why it wasn't an option? Between that and the secret identity, it seems like this isn't something you are comfortable fully acknowledging, especially where your family is concerned. I want to help people, and my family's idea of helping people doesn't align with what I can do. But what else am I supposed to do with it? Headmaster... Adam speaks up and says, nobody said you have to use it, especially not to do what you're doing right now. From what I understand, your abilities largely revolve around controlling glass. Yes, I can move it. I can shape it. I can break it. Eventually, I will be able to melt it. I can throw it. And she does do a little, like, hand flex, cat claws, like, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't say that there's a one-to-one -one line of logic between controlling glass and fighting crime. I mean, you wake up one morning and you're indestructible. I can understand the logic there. You wake up and you control glass. I'm just curious how you made that decision. Research. There is a precedent for what I can do years ago. And the people who could do it helped their community. That was what they were responsible for. I can't do everything that those people did, so I can't help the same way. So after some research and practice and time, this is what I do. And it's what I've been doing for almost two years now. 
two and a half. I don't need permission to use it this way. I understand that. She smiles at that. She says, I understand. There were a lot of things that I could have done when I first got my powers. I mean, sure, I was already a cop, but suddenly finding yourself with psychic powers doesn't... I mean, if I had wanted to, there were a million other things I could have done, but it felt like where I belonged at the time, so I can appreciate that. They all look at each other again. The headmaster nods almost imperceptibly, and Clara looks back at you and says, Bethel, have you ever thought about taking a leadership role? Uh, I will literally explode. <laughs> Obviously, you wouldn't be in charge of everything. The program is still through the academy, but in the field, we've found that it hurts for the group not to know who to look to to make a decision. You've been doing this the longest. You have the most experience. If it is something that has to be done and there is no one else to do it, I will do it. Really, I think that should be a more democratic decision between the rest of us. You can't just expect help have them trust me just because I say to trust me. No, of course not. Nobody's saying you have to do anything. It's just a question. I think we're done here. Could you, uh, could you send Danny in? Yes. She'll stand up and kind of like do like a half nod at them, leave the room, close the door again, and be like, you're up, future boy. Danny will turn, nod, give Lyra four more phones of the exact same model of her previous phone, all with pictures of Danny as the background, and then walk into the room. Does he have money? Great question. Danny, you step into the room. You're not interrupting any conversation, unlike Lyra. And you close the door behind you. Do you close the door behind you? Yes, Danny respects privacy. Close the door behind you, and you're greeted with the same four people. Leo gestures to the chair and says, do you want to take a seat, Danny? We'll get started. Yes, I will. I will take the seat. Hello, my friend Clara. And then Danny will sit down. She laughs and she smiles and she says, hi, Danny. It's nice to see you again. How have things been going? I have had an intro. I have seen the city and the city is beautiful and grandiose and we do not have this where I come from. And it has been a nice day. Interesting. Are you finding you remembering more? I don't know if it's memories or if it is new thoughts, but I am having a lot of mental images regardless. That is a start. It sounds like hopefully things will become more clear the longer you're here. I would like that. Danny, I realize that you're in kind of a unique position. It's hard for us to ask you a lot of the questions that we've been asking the others simply because you don't know why you're here, except you've said that you want to help people. Yes, and I am here to help, and I am here to swish hands. Literally? If it is a big ant, yes. I am speaking in metaphor. I believe that is the term. I did not say like, so it is not a simile. I have been to a library. (laughs) So who are the ants in this scenario? Ooh, that is a loaded question for Danny. 
I remember a tyrant, and I know of a larger being, but I don't know it. You don't have to pierce the mask, but I will tell you for free that when you say tyrant, attention spreads throughout the room. And Leo in particular sits up a little straighter, straightens his back a little bit as he shifts uncomfortably in his chair. Danny notices that, but does not point it out out of fear of being seen as rude. Clara says, okay, so you want to stop bad guys? Yes. Ideally forever. They trade a concerned look amongst the four of them. And Claire continues on and says, would that mean killing them? No. I want to fix them. I want the bad guys to not be bad guys anymore. Where I'm from, there was no, there weren't bad guys, just people with bad circumstances. And at the end, we all had to come together. And I don't see why we need to wait for the world to end for that to happen. They trade another concerned look amongst themselves. (laughs) And Claire says, a hypothetical end of the world? I apologize. That is misleading. I do not believe... I mean, my world is gone. Time travel, I believe we are operating under rules where by me going to here, my future is no longer there. That said... The world was not destroyed. Don't worry about that. The world continued to exist. All the people did die. That must have been really hard for you. Yes, I would like to not talk about this if possible. Uh, Absolutely, that's, that's, that's fine. We understand, and she looks around and everybody nods, except the headmaster, but they move on anyway. So, would you be open to learning how to do those things here? to save people, maybe even rehabilitate them as part of a team. Yes, I am only one person. And while I have some power, sometimes I say the wrong thing. And I need people to help explain me. And I need people who can help do the right thing. And that is why I think my friends would be a good team. Clara, you do not have to be part of the team, even though you are one of my friends. I appreciate that a lot. Thank you. All right. I think for the time being, that is a good baseline understanding of each other and what it is you're looking for and what it is that we can provide. And she looks around, she looks over mostly at Leo and Samantha, his wife, who both nod. And she doesn't look over at the headmaster, but the headmaster crosses her arms across her chest. She seems a little more skeptical. Danny notices that and looks right at the headmaster and says, I apologize for being upsetting. That was not my intent. No, you're not. You're fine, Danny. I'm just trying to decide what the most responsible thing for us to do in this circumstance is. I think at the end of the day, you will make the decision that is best for you. And regardless of how I personally feel about it, I will respect it. She considers that for a second and nods slowly and says, I can live with that. And Leo says, thank you so much, Danny. Do you have any questions for us? I have stolen many phones today. And Danny will, uh, out of his painter's thing, pull out like 12 phones. These were mostly from stores, but a few of them belong to people. 
I was just trying to research things, and this was the best way to do it. But sometimes the batteries would die. Anyway, these are for you, and Danny will give each of them, like, three phones. (laughs) They all blink. They take the phones, out of surprise more than anything else. And Clara says, Danny, do you know that it's wrong to steal? I do know, but I'm trying to learn how to be a better person. And sometimes, according to many of the documents I watched on a thing called the YouTube, I have seen that sometimes to be a good person, we have to do bad things. And while I do not wish to harm anybody physically, I think a little theft is okay. And then Danny will, out of another pocket, pull the biggest Toblerone you could get at an airport, open it, and take a piece. (laughs) God bless. Amazing. Okay, Danny, uh, we may have to work on that. We may have to talk a little bit more about what is okay to take and what is not okay to take. Danny hides his Toblerone back in his uh, overalls. (laughs) Okay. Thank you, Danny. I think we're good. Danny politely bows and then asks, would you like me to send in anybody else? Leo stands up and says, I'll go with you. Uh, okay, Danny will grab Leo and they teleport to the other room together. Burst of magenta smoke. You reappear in the lobby. He takes a deep breath, like a sharp inhale, and looks around, is very startled. His eyes are very wide. He almost falls over. It's very comical, but he kind of catches himself on the edge of the desk that nobody's sitting at and pats himself down and tries to sort of collect himself. I'm so thankful you survived that. I was not positive. <laughs> His eyebrows go up. I apologize, but I figured, why not learn together? Okay, let's not do that with other people for the time being until we're sure that they can survive, okay? Yes. And then Danny will offer him a piece of the Toblerone. I'm I'm great. I'm good. Thank you so much, though. The door opens to the room, and Dr. Sobrero, Clara, and Headmaster Adams all file out. And they nod at all of you, but they leave the waiting room through the door you all came in. And Leo rubs his hands against his thighs a little uncomfortably and says, um, the three of you are uh, are good to go. I'm just going to have a word with Casimir, if that's okay. Danny will look at Casimir to make sure it's okay. So I feel like I will first note that Casimir had previously been like perched on the chair reading Gideon the Ninth with one hand and creating a worry stone made out of teeth in his other hand, which changed when Danny reappeared with Leo. And as he registered that, he kind of went to sit cross-legged, closed his book, and then just watched as everyone filed out, took a deep breath. And when Danny asked him that question, said, yeah, that's fine. Thanks, Danny. Lyra's gonna kind of stand there. When she came back out, I think, after Danny went in, she didn't sit, but she is standing next to Victory's chair where he is. And when this exchange happens, she will say, mostly to Kaz, we'll be down in the quad getting coffee as a kind of like, we're not leaving you. I don't know you, but I am suspicious of these adults. So. And Kaz just says, hopefully I'll see you there. Then I will start to shepherd out the folks to victory i will say do you think we can give him caffeine do you think we should give him caffeine well 
I know that if I drink caffeine, my eyes might explode. But he's probably fine. All right. Okay. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. We'll get him half-half and we'll see how that goes. The three of you leave and close the door behind you, presumably. Leo meets your eyes, Kaz, and says, uh, we can go in there if you want, or we can just talk here. I mean, it seems like it doesn't really matter either way, since it seems like you're already decided. Casimir, I got a call yesterday from friend would be putting it too strongly, but an old acquaintance. Was it Stricker? Because we can just say if it was Stricker. If the director of the uh, EIB calls you, you take the call. Were you planning to tell us? At some point, yes. See, this, this puts me in a tricky position because as a teacher, it is my job to believe the best of you. And if you say you want to help people and do good, save them, I'm inclined to believe you. He pauses for a second and he meets your eyes even more intentionally and he says, I'm choosing to believe you. But you have to understand the position this could put the school in. And what position is that? I'm happy to say it if you want me to. Please do. Your father is quite possibly the most dangerous man in the world. He has killed a lot of people for far less than trying to turn his... He stumbles over his words in a way that is odd to you. Only child into a, into a hero. Somebody trying to turn his only child into a hero. Someone who might one day work against him. Maybe even come into direct conflict with him. But shouldn't I get a choice in this too? That's what I'm saying. I'm choosing to believe you when you say that this is what you want, but I need to know in your most honest estimation whether or not this could cost lives. I don't know. I would like to say that it wouldn't, but I also don't want to make a guarantee that I have no control over. I'm not asking for a promise. I know you can't deliver that. I never thought about it about me leaving home costing lives until Stricker insinuated that it could. I don't trust him. I don't believe him. But I also can't discount that it's a possibility. I also think if you let me do this, that it could also save lives and that that should be worth the risk. You know, a really long time ago, I was given an opportunity just like this one. I was in your shoes. I didn't have a supervillain for a parent, but I also didn't have a normal childhood. And if you grow up being dragged into a supermax facility just because you can cancel out people's powers, you see things. Changes the way you, you look at yourself. Did you know that Sabrero wasn't my last name for most of my life. No. I had a different one back then. The doctor who gave me my abilities stuck his name onto me. This isn't a secret, but it's not really widely known either. 
I never really got famous enough for it to be a big enough deal. Thank God. Sobrero is, uh, Sobrero was, um, Paragon's last name, where he came from, his real name. And, uh, I didn't find out until I was your age that he was my father. But before that, especially at the beginning, I did a lot of bad things. I made a lot of mistakes and I hurt a lot of people. And a lot of that can be attributed to how I grew up and what I was made to do when I was very, very young. But my point is that our fathers don't define us, good or bad. Whether my father is the greatest hero the world has ever known, or your father is the worst supervillain. I'm not inherently a better person, and you're not inherently a bad one. So if you want to be here, if you want to do this, I'm going to say okay. And no one outside of the two of us is going to know who your father is. Not even the headmaster. And what's their understanding of why my evaluation went differently than everyone else's. They trust me to make this call. I asked for their trust and they gave it. It really means a lot to me that you've trusted me with all of this information and that you trust me to remain here if I choose to. Well, it's, it's not gonna do any of us much good if you end up back out there with nowhere to go and no one to rely on. Yeah, Stricker's suggestion was that I just go back home to my dad. He is an asshole. He is a prudent and frustratingly capable asshole, but he is an asshole all the same. Yeah, he sucks. And at some point in the very near future, I may have to tell him to go fuck himself, but that's for another day. I wish I could be a fly on the wall when that happens. I know I can't. I know I can't, but I would love to see it. It's not going to be nearly as satisfying as it sounds. It's He's going to be very pleasant about it and hang up the phone, and then I'm going to start getting a lot of calls and inquiries from various government agencies that are going to be very tedious and frustrating to deal with, but that's my problem, not yours. And I think your squad is waiting for you. Before I go meet up with them. I know you said that who my dad is stays between the two of us. What are your thoughts on the pros and cons of hiding that from my squad? Because as you pointed out, this could set me on a collision course with my father at some point, and it seems like it could be important for them to know that. It's your call. It's whatever you want to tell anybody. All I'm saying is I won't be the one to tell them. Whether it's the other faculty or your squad mates, no one will be hearing it from me. Thank you. Yeah, of course. And similarly, Leo is going to attempt to shift your labels as well. In this particular case, I think it will be mundane up, freak down. And assuming you are okay with that and you don't try to reject the influence, that just happens. Yeah, no, I don't think Kaz has any reason to reject that. This has been a much better conversation than he ever imagined it being. So I think he's all for that influence. Okay, very good. Yeah, your mundane goes up by one, your freak goes down by one. You feel a little less alien in the world and a little more like you belong here. You head out to meet up with the rest of your squad, I'm assuming. 
Yep. Definitely looking like less weighed down and lighter. So it's pretty evident it was not a bad conversation. And you find them outside. Did you decide to let Danny have coffee? Uh, Lyra got him a half-calf coffee, and she left him beside the condiment bar and told him he could put as much cream as he wanted, but only two sugars. Danny is only drinking the cream and has abandoned the half-calf. <laughs> that is totally fine. She told him he could only have two sugars. She didn't specify how much cream he could have. She's not going to fight on that. And then... Danny has had the two sugars, though. That is fine. Um, and then I imagine after a lot of coaxing, she found out what Alex can drink right now and has secured that. Alex is just drinking an herbal tea. She went out of her way to get the herbal tea. I'm picturing Danny with like the little creamer containers. I'm picturing Danny like shooting them and then like slamming them down on the table. He just scooped a whole bunch of them and put them on there. He's just like peeling the lid back. <laughs> we do not have this where I come from. <laughs> it's just like immensely satisfying on top of everything else. And as he abandons them, Lyra stacks them. It's kind of like... This is good tea. What is this? Echinacea? Uh... The herbal blend. I guess it's proprietary. I don't mm. know. Um, and at that moment, I will say that Casimir arrives. I was going to say, I feel like he uh, maybe takes a moment just to like toss a piece of bone so that it knocks over the stack that Lyra's been creating. And she just like watches it topple over and she goes, thank you. It's really what it needed. I know. That's why I did it. Did it go well? Yeah. That good. Yeah. It... It went a lot better than I expected. And Danny will slide one of his creamer containers over to you. <laughs> and Kaz will will shoot it, because why not? <laughs> and he does like excited little claps. <laughs> As you were all standing around, Kaz, are you catching your friends up on what went down, or are you kind of keeping the majority of it to yourself and just saying it went well? I think for the moment he's more sticking to it went well. It sounds like we're a squad, no need to go into the specifics. He's also probably like perched now on the table that you're all sitting around. So that's what he did in lieu of finding a chair. And as you were all gathered around and discussing these things, joking around about knocking pyramids over and things like that, Danny, in the air right in front of your face, you notice a magenta spark, almost like a little puff of smoke. And then a few feet Beyond, another one. I think someone is trying to talk to me. Danny will just kind of utter out loud and then get up and follow the puffs. And you start following them and, and sure enough, more of them are appearing as they go. Does he walk off or does he teleport off? I walk off. I'm following them. If he walks off, then I think we'll do like a quick look exchange and then like pick up our cups and go after him. I try to pawn off the abandoned all-black half-calf on Kaz. I don't tell him what it is. I'm like, he didn't want to drink it. It just looks like black coffee. Yeah, Kaz will take it. You take that and you start following the little magenta sparks as they're appearing in the air. And they lead you across the quad, kind of around the fountain of Roger Brandt, and then up to the doors of that weird gothic mansion danny will knock as you do that it barely makes any noise but the door that you were knocking on swings slightly open and in the relative gloom that you can see beyond 
another magenta spark appears. Danny does not even wait, continues to follow. What did the rest of you do? I think we paused probably at the bottom of the stairs when he was knocking. And when it opened, now is the time to hesitate and be like, did they tell you what building this was when you did the tour? Wait, we had a tour? Well, they didn't tell us we couldn't go in here. We are students now, I think, technically. They haven't told us that we failed our evaluations, which I think makes it safe to assume for the moment that we passed them, meaning that we're students, meaning that we're allowed to be here. Also, we probably shouldn't leave Danny alone. Yeah, okay, yeah, we shouldn't leave Danny alone. This this is Um, is also, yes. Danny's head pops back out the door to look at them and go, come on, and then disappears back into the house. Now, when you say Danny's head pops out of the door. <laughs> like the whole body is attached? Yeah. <laughs> I meant uh, pops back in from the side of the open gap. Okay. Just got to check. You never know it, Danny. That's a very valid point. Yes, the body is still attached. Just the head is only visible and it's like sideways. It's just like, come on, and then disappears. With that, Lyra will just make a comment. This building came up during some of my early research, and I don't think the guy who lives here like has it open to the public. So, I mean, it should have had better locks then. I didn't see a sign saying for us to keep out. We're not even breaking. We might be entering, but we're not breaking. The door is unlocked. The door opened itself. Seems like an invitation to me. All right, let's go. Besides, it wouldn't be the first crotchety old guy I've had a fight with. Week. Are you okay? I'm not. No. We should talk about that later. The three of you enter the manor after Danny, and you find yourself in a hallway. There is a carpet with a very faded pattern on it. At some point, it was red and gold, but now those colors have largely bled and faded into something that's quickly approaching grayscale. That runs down the center. You can see the hallway you're in terminates in what looks like a kitchen, though periodically there are openings into side rooms as the hallway continues. You can also see a very large and grand staircase that leads, presumably, up to a second floor. But the sparks, as you continue to follow them, lead you through the first crenellation that you pass and into what looks like a reading room, maybe? A parlor of some kind? There's a lot of comfortable, antique-looking furniture in here. A fireplace that is cold, and you're not sure when the last time it was used was. The walls are almost completely lined with books and shelving for them. And here or there, scattered around, are even stranger objects on those shelves. You can see a glass bell jar that covers what you're fairly certain is a bird of some kind, though it's hard to make out any details. It's on one of the higher shelves. There is a empty candelabra that appears to be completely covered in red wax that has dripped down over the sides. Oddities like that and stranger. 
but the sparks lead you towards the front end of the house where there are a few large windows set with very heavy black curtains covering them. And in the corner, there is a pot, a very large pot that looks too heavy for any human being to move it. And growing out of that pot is a sapling, a very small tree, possibly something that could bear fruit. It does appear to be alive and healthy, though. And the sparks lead you directly right in front of it and then stop. Hello, tree. Nothing happens. <clears throat> Hello, tree. I'm sorry, that's rude. I don't know your name. Is it getting sunlight? Like, this is just a very overdramatic planter's pot from, like, Michael's during the Halloween section. It is definitely potted. Unless the curtains are drawn back at other times, you don't see how it would be getting sunlight. Can I poke the tree? You poke the tree, and almost immediately, gravity increases all around you starts to weigh you down and pull you all collectively to the floor and it grows heavier and heavier on your shoulders stranger and stranger until the tree starts to shake and the pot that it is planted into cracks dirt spills out across the floor and almost like one of those nature documentaries that is sped up. You see roots surge out from the dirt and plant themselves into the floorboards of the house. At the same moment, as you are almost all collectively pulled flat against the ground, your perception of reality, the world around you, fully flips like you're in a car that just turned over. It's a strange sensation, unlike anything you have ever felt before. But as the world settles back into place, that weight that has been pulling you down starts to lift and then dissipates. And you are left standing there in the house, in the parlor, in front of this tree that has planted itself, integrated itself with the wooden floorboards underneath it. Uh, so that's fine. Yeah, I'm I'm sure. They're totally fine. Thank you so much for uh, joining us for another episode of Academy Age. As always, we would not be able to do any of this without your support for both us and for the causes that we spotlight. And that would really suck because the stuff that we create here at Live from the Apocalypse means a lot to all of us. If you would like to get to know us better or keep up with us and what we're up to, you can follow us on Twitter at Live from the Apoc, Instagram and TikTok at Live from the Apocalypse, or join our Discord community, which will be linked in the description down below. If you enjoyed what you heard today, feel free to give us a good rating and follow us on your podcatcher of choice. Leave a review if you're so inclined. It really does help out so much. The donation link to our Planned Parenthood campaign can also be found in the description if you'd like to help out at this critical time. Join us for live recordings of Academy H every other Sunday or any of our four other ongoing live stream campaigns that happen throughout the week over at twitch.tv slash live from the apocalypse. As always, we appreciate the time you spend with us and we hope to see you again very soon.
But anyway, best Sherlock Holmes is Sherlock Holmes in the 22nd century. No, shut up. Get Robot Watson out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck that guy.